It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine, where we explore history, mystery and magic in our rural world. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast, which is now in its seventh season. And this is episode six. And here we meet one of my heroes, the actor and writer Simon Farnaby, who is perhaps best known for his roles on Detectorists, The Mighty Boosh and Horrible Histories, but also as the non-fancying security guard in Paddington 2. Lately, Simon has written a children's book, The Wizard in My Shed, where a Dark Age wizard is transported to 21st century Britain. With our own Maria Hodson, Simon talks about his love of history and the countryside, which inspired this new project. Hi, Hi Simon. Hello. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yes, thanks for um, being interested. <laughs> I'm very interested. I, I will talk about your novel in a minute because I have actually managed to read it and it was a delight. Um, oh, brilliant. It really um, spoke to the, the, the child inside me. And I was oh, like, good. I know it's probably not aimed at grown-ups, but <laughs> I love it. Well, it is. Yeah, I, I try and do things for grown-ups as well, really, you know. Oh, I'm glad. You enjoyed yeah, it. I very much did. But what I'll start with is um, you, if that's okay, and yes. ask you what your connection is to the countryside. Uh, well, I was brought up in Yorkshire. Uh, well, a place called Croft on Tees, um, which actually is Durham, but it's right on the border. And then I went to school in Richmond in North Yorkshire. And so I was brought up around the Dales and, of course, he- you know, Harriet country, all creatures great and small. <laughs> yeah. So I've got it. I I feel like I'm from the countryside, I suppose, and I just have such sort of great memories. Of, like 
the woods was always really important to me. Like there was nothing more exciting than finding like, usually you'd find like, you know, there'd be a dead bird in the woods or something, you know, when you're a kid and that's, that's, uh, that becomes like the most fascinating thing you could possibly imagine when you're a kid or someone would go, oh, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a badger down by the river. That was like a thrill, you know, and everyone would be talking about the badgers. You go, yeah, there's a badger. And so we go, there isn't a badger. <laughs> and then you go, no, there is a badger, there isn't. So um, that's my memories of childhood and just always being, you know, grubbing around in the backwoods. Look, there'd be mushrooms or some beetle or some uh, molehill or something mysterious. And you go, that doesn't belong here. And yeah. So, yeah, I feel like, I feel like, um, even though I've lived in London for 20 years now, you know, that's my connection. That's where I feel like I'm from. Do you feel as though it informed your character at all? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, my dad was a landscape gardener as well, so I grew up around lots of shrubs and plants and, you know, gardening was important and being outdoors, I suppose, and people... Tell me I'm quite laid back. Although I don't feel very laid back, you know. I think everyone feels a bit sort of stressed sometimes. But um, <laughs> I suppose that might be partly because I was comfortable in the outdoors and having lots of time to just get bored and to walk around and, you know, look at clouds and things. So, so I do feel that's sort of part of me, yeah. And you mentioned that you now live in London, but do you um, get uh, opportunities to, to revisit the countryside often? And when and, and when you do go, what sort of things do you do there? Well, funnily enough, yeah, so my parents still live in um, near Richmond in North Yorkshire. And um, I was actually back there about a week ago. Yeah, always go take a drive up to the Dales. And you always make new discoveries because so there was a school in Richmond, as I said, and, and I visited there for, you know, since I've been in London, but I just discovered a new bit of this river, the River Swale, where you could swim in, because I've got into swimming outdoors now, because especially in the lockdown, you know, you, um, you're not allowed to go swimming, and I quite enjoy swimming, so I've taken to outdoor swimming. We found this river that you can go in, it was fabulous, and it was on my doorstep the whole time, I didn't even know it was there, so yeah, you know, long walks, swimming, probably find a pub somewhere, <laughs> yeah a nice way to round out any of those things off isn't it a pint at the end of it or a, or, or a few yeah <laughs> depending on if you're driving or not <laughs> um I'll, I'll move on to the book where although it's ostensibly um a little bit urban because it's set in the sort of suburban town of Bashingstoke, um there's also frequent references to nature and the warlock hero, I should call him, the 6th century murder in the wild, um, has a very strong sense that, that modern society has seen a, a loss of connection with nature. So is that something that you also feel? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's sort of inevitable with technology and the way we live that we become slightly distanced from nature and and I think that was partly the point I was making, not to sort of hammer kids over the head with it. I think it's, that was what I liked about having someone from the Dark Ages, which was where, you know, they really did believe in magic in the Dark Ages. And, you know, it was just a fact. It was like there's, there's you know, there's trees and there's 
stones and there's humans and there's magic and it's all part of the and I think it really was nature you know I think they were perplexed by nature and and found it magical which it is and and I think even though we've taken some of that magic away with science which is quite right like obviously nothing against science but we have to remember that we are part of nature I think and that I think Murdin makes the point in the book he says you know we we believed that we were all one, you know, we were all made of one, which of course we are, we're all sort of part of the universe and we were all floating bits of rock and congealed and made into strange creatures and different life forms, but we are all as one. And I think if, without hitting kids over the head with it, I think if you say, you know, if you just remind kids of that or or, or give them a portal which allows them to see that we're all one, then I think... That's how maybe we can look after the place a little bit better, which is what will lose our, our natural environment, you know, quicker than we, we ought to, you know. Absolutely. In the book, which I should mention is called The Wizard in My Shed. It's a lovely title. The, the children are, you get quite a contrast between children's obsession with technology and then this, you know, this wild magic. And Murdin becomes quite frustrated with their immersion in their phones and on the screen. And and is that a frustration that you also share? Is it something that your child does or your children? And um, and how do you think that parents can get children to switch off technology and get outdoors more? My daughter's six years old and um, I'm very, you know, see myself as a sort of, not a hippie, but like, you know, for... <laughs> I thought, well, uh, Eve, my daughter, she'll never be on iPads and, and screens. And, and of course she is, <laughs> because <laughs> you just can't, it's like holding back the tide. Like, they're going to find these things. And, and when I was a kid, you know, when, you know, where you had the ZX Spectrum, suddenly there was this computer that you could play games on. And it was like the best thing ever, because of course it is. But I think it's balance. I think it's it's just trying to be aware of it and trying to go, well, I just say you have screen time and you have non-screen time and and encourage them to see, um, to play in nature and to see the wonder of it. And you really just encourage them. I mean, actually, Eve's pretty good. Like maybe most six-year-olds are. She loves snails and beetles and bugs and uh, spiders. And she's got a she's got a bug, a pet bug at the moment. <laughs> Um, which is a little shield bug that she keeps. <laughs> Wonderful. I made a laugh because I had a pet fly when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, called, called Fred. And even she went, she went, Dad, a, a pet fly is a bad pet. And I was going, I know, I know, I know, it really is, isn't it? But uh, I did have one. And my, my mum found it one day and went, what the hell are you doing? Keep... I kept it in a cupboard with a jammy dodger biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she went she went what the hell are you doing with a fly and I said absurd it's dirty you know it's you can't keep a mouldy old biscuit and well that's his breakfast lunch and dinner she let it out anyway I don't know what happened to Fred <laughs> but he survived that that sounds like <laughs> he did he, he lived in there for I think two weeks yeah <laughs> and lived to tell the tale amazing <laughs> yeah but um yes I think it's You've got to gently try and encourage them and, and going for walks and things. I mean, it's so funny. Eve, Eve will be like, I can't think of anything worse than a walk. And kids do. It's like, why would you? It's a very strange, it's a very adult thing to do, isn't it? Go, you're going for a walk. 
And they come to you and go, that sounds terrible. But you've just got to persist. And eventually, once they're out there, they find something and love it, you know. But you've just got to get over that hump of them going, that does sound dull. Um, <laughs> because you have to sort of be bored as well. You, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, we were pretty bored. And I think that's the thing, if anything, that's different. You know, people go, well, we've always had technology, but not really. Like the ZX Spectrum was not a PlayStation or, or a Nintendo Switch. And they are much better at grabbing your attention. And so you have to go, yeah, but there's so much there that, that there's no way to get bored because there's always something at hand. So that's a show, but you've got to try. It's hard to go, I want you to be bored. And then you <laughs> yeah. use your imagination because, again, they're going, why would I want to be bored? That's boring. So it's very difficult, but we've just got to keep trying, I think, and um, and giving them books like Wizard in My Shed to gently encourage them to enjoy nature. Exactly. Absolutely. And speaking of which, what gave you the idea for this novel? Because you're, you're a prolific writer, but this is your first novel and this is aimed at sort of young, well, not young children, older children slash young adults, I suppose. What gave you the idea for it? I think I always wanted to do, well, I wanted to do a book because when you're when you write scripts you really are relying on so many different departments like you've got a director you've got you know you might get an actor who who isn't who you thought it was going to be or there's it, it basically you write a script and it can turn out vastly different to how you intended it to and it can be a great process. It can be better than actually what you've done, or it can be worse, or it just falls into other people's hands. So I really wanted to do a book because it's, you're like, you're the writer, director, actor. Uh, you do the scenery, the props, and it's really great. I just want to just write a book and then that's it. It's, it's, it can play in kids' imagination. You know, I like writing sort of, for kids, or certainly for adults and kids, you know, Pan, like the Paddington, Paddington 2 was very loved by adults and kids, and Horrible Histories is, and I think I think I sort of bridged that, you know, um, that age gap quite well. Um, and then the idea really is just, I love stories about when kids meet strange creatures from a different time or place. I remember I loved Stig of the Dump when I was a kid, and E.T. was like blew my mind as like still my favorite film. And an unlikely friendship with a strange being. Um, I like the Dark Ages and I like sort of and wizards are great because they can do magic. And so that sort of it all just sort of fell into place in that way, really. Did you find it easy to write or was it a sort of a labor of love? Um, this is actually the most fun I've had. Um, Although I have fun writing with other people on scripts because it can be good fun making up jokes. and it's, it's, But I think in terms of uh, things I've written on my own, this was by far the most enjoyable, especially the first draft. Like, I actually was going, oh, this is easy. This is, you just sit down and, I mean, I had it all quite rigorously plotted out and maybe that's different to other people who write fiction I know Enid Blyton, for example, didn't plan anything and would just had an idea and would sit and see what came out. So I think through my writing scripts, I know, like scripts have to be like each scene by scene, you've got to know what's in it. So I did plan it like a script and I did scene by scene, and which is chapter by chapter. 
But then once I'd done that, I really enjoyed it. It was like once you've done all the preparation and the structure, the writing actually is fun. And I loved the first draft. And then Ruth, my editor, went, okay, well, now now sort of the real work starts. And I was like, I thought I'd done it. (laughs) (laughs) But she was right. And just writing is rewriting. It's like honing and making it all flow better and cutting bits you don't need and adding bits you do need. So, but overall, it's been really enjoyable. Great. Well, it does. It does race along. It's got a really nice pace to it. And I was very sad when it finished. I was like, oh. Oh, more adventures of rose yeah um also in the book uh murden references quite a lot of plant species that he uses for his potions such as bearded darnel pendulous sage pendulous sage witch's grass etc now is this something that you can do when you go out for a walk are you actually able to identify these species out and about i do <laughs> well because my dad was a gardener i do know lots of plants and shrubs and um things and grasses and also he was a grass farmer, like he grew turf. So I knew meadow grass and, and obviously the more refined grass that you have, you know, um, he would like do golf courses and stuff. So so I do love grass. And now I now I bore people. When I did the research for Murdin, I obviously I looked into it and I wanted to make this point that even, even grass is it can be, you know, wonderful. And uh, and I do now bore people with going, oh, that's Coxfoot. I'm going, yes, you can tell because it looks like a, um, it looks like the, uh, you know, and then your voice goes all nerdy. And well, it looks like the, the foot of a, a cockerel, you see. Um, and bearded Darnell is great as well because that's got these little beardy bits on them. So, so I have become a bit of a grass boar, yeah. I think that's a great thing. It's a cr- I, doubt, I doubt they're bored, Simon. I'm sure they're absolutely fascinated. Moving on to um, some of your your previous work, you mentioned Horrible Histories a minute ago, and you've played a number of characters in that show, as well as writing it. Um, so which character in British history has been your favourite to play and why? I think, well, I do a character called Stupid Death, which I enjoy, but that's not, strictly speaking, a historical character, because he's sort of the Grim Reaper, so... I'd have to choose a Caligula, which is fun for lots of different reasons because he's so evil. Like baddies are quite are quite fun to play, you know. And he he's sort of really horrible, so I enjoyed playing him. But I remember I enjoyed that character mostly because it was I think it was the first thing I filmed on Horrible Histories, and and that I had this line where he'd go uh, like someone would say, "Oh, you know that." Um, that wall's bigger than you, and he'd go bigger, bigger than me. Nobody is bigger than me, you know. And um, and then I, and then the director went, uh, "Oh, it's okay, Simon. It's it's a kids show, this, so you can you can go as big as you like." And then I went, "That that was big." And he'd go, "No, no, I can have fun with it." And then, so then I go, "Bigger than me," and he'd go, "Yeah, you can go even further." And then I thought. Then I thought, well, this is going to be a fun job because usually when you do acting, people say, can you do a bit less and can you have a bit less fun? So that was great to do. Fantastic. <laughs> um, speaking of baddies, um, but perhaps he's, he's been uh, disserved by history. You were present when the bones of Richard III were found under a car park because you were presenting a documentary, I think for Channel 4, about the British king. So t- can you tell us about that and what it was like? 
Yeah, that was great. You know, part of my life, the King in the Car Park, it was um, it was only supposed to be like a two-day job. And my agent rang, and, and I think it was and this guy, Ralph, who, who ran the factual at Channel 4, was a fan of Horrible Histories, and he wanted to do something a bit different. And it was just a little pilot thing. It was like, do you want to go up to Leicester? There's an idea that Richard might be buried in this car park, but might not be. You probably won't find anything, but just go and do you want to do two days? And I had nothing to do at the time. And I thought it sounded interesting. So I went on the first day, they found this bone sticking out. They dug the first t- trench they dug. And then I joked and I went, oh, well, found him. We can all go home now. And everyone laughed. That turned out it was him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, like, obviously it took, like, I think the second day they went, oh, well, this job's going to be a bit longer than we thought because we think we actually might find something. And then, the, the you know, the bones we found on that first day turned out to be him. And it was, it was like a complete miracle, you know. It was, I think, that Leicester University did... The maths department did the the chances, the statistics on the chances of us actually finding him, and they were like three million to one or something, yeah. So it was a sort of complete miracle and great to be part of, you know, totally unexpected. And I'm not a presenter, really. I, I've since discovered, <laughs> but that was a that was a uh, <laughs> that was a total accident uh, where I just had a very brief career as a presenter. Of, show so so it was and uh, you struck gold when it struck gold yeah <laughs> it's only downhill from there isn't it well you don't need to do any more presenting if you find the the bones of richard the third the first time you do something so that's like job done well, where do i go from there <laughs> um speaking of striking gold i hope you like that segue um the Detectorist, that's a fantastic show set in the countryside where you play um one of the rival detectorists um and I was just, I, I was thinking about this actually, because I was going to ask you about filming in a, in a beautiful landscape for that. But I imagine a lot of your filming has, has taken place outdoors, actually, because I've seen Mindhorn, which uh, was on the Isle of Man. And that was wonderful. And again, beautiful setting. But I feel with the detectorists, they, it really makes a point of giving the landscape a starring role. What's it like filming on a show like that? Well, first of all, thank you for watching Mindhorn. Um, Brilliant. Uh, not many people have seen it. No, uh, um, yeah, very proud of Mindhorn. It's great. Um, yeah, Detectress was amazing. I knew Mackenzie Crook from, we used to do sort of stand-up sort of character comedy together in the old days. And um, he asked me to play this part, I think just because I look like Art Garfunkel. <laughs> and then um, it's, a, I mean... We filmed it in sort of June, July in Suffolk. Toby Jones and I would always say how, how blessed Mackenzie was because every time we the camera was rolling, the sun would come out and, and he was just a very lucky, you know, we just always had great weather and I can't even remember it raining once. But we it was like a holiday. Me and Paul, the guy who played um, the Paul Simon character, we used to joke saying it was like our holiday. So when there's another series, we go, oh, it looks like we're going on holiday again. So it was great to film. And Mackenzie's a real nature buff himself. And in between takes, he, he's sort of um, spotting kestrels and digging up, you know, 
toadstools and stuff. And so he's really, uh, I think he wanted to give nature, you know, the countryside that starring role and, and the cameraman as well captured it, you know, getting all those little details. He'd find, he'd go off, find butterflies landing on a, on a bit of grass, on a bit of bearded Darnell. <laughs> it, it feels to me as though the countryside is um, getting a bit of a, maybe a new lease of life as a setting for comedy. Because I was thinking of the detectorists and this country and Mortimer, Mortimer and Whitehouse gone fishing. Because pre, and previously it was, it's always been approached in quite a straight-faced manner with natural nature, natural history programmes or maybe a detective series. And do you think we will be seeing more countryside comedy or is it a trend that's going to end quite soon? Um, I don't know is the answer to that. I mean, these things come in cycles. Actually, I, I think I pitched for a country, a show called... Um, I can't remember what it's called. It was something like... Life in the countryside, something very, very, very uh, imaginative like that. And that was a sketch show set in the countryside. That was about 10 years ago. And, and um, BBC went, we're not interested in that at all. No one's interested in the countryside. <laughs> so things have changed. But, um, but I do, you know, I remember Last of the Summer Wine. And, and um, uh, I think I'm alone on this, but I loved that show. And especially the early, um, you know, and it and originally, like right at the beginning, it was very it was like a Sam Beckett play. You know, there was um, it was three gentlemen nearing in their uh, twilight years, walking around the countryside, musing about life, about you know um, nature, about you know mortality, and that was shot. I don't know where that was. Probably Yorkshire somewhere. But um, that I remember being very beautiful and really being enhanced by the by the countryside and that was maybe why I loved that show and I think that's what and um the detectorist plays on that as well that sort of quietness and and um what you do when there's no you know there's no mobile mobile phones and nothing to get in your way so I think it's great I I love it if it will last I don't know and it might be it might be that it's also in response to the, our rising, I suppose, addiction or um, reliance on technology that we're seeking more and more outlets in the countryside, but also wanting to see it as a place of fun rather than I think often we're quite we are quite grave about it because of the the loss of nature. But it's nice when it can also be a place of joy and um, yeah, entertainment. Yeah, I think um, you know I try and do that in the book. It's like um, you do, yeah. There, there's you know, they, they, the kids go, hey, we're into saving the world, man. And then Murden goes, but you don't even know what, what's in your local wood. Like, that's, that's, that's important too, you know. Murdin stopped in a clearing next to a stream. The water was coming from the hills beyond Bashingford, and a small waterfall had filled a lovely pool, around which was growing some very healthy-looking vegetation. Aha! he exclaimed. All is not lost with this world. Now, help me, younglings, get gathering. He got down on his hands and knees, no easy task when he was still in his super-tight jeans, and started grubbing about in the undergrowth. Gathering what? asked Rose. Yeah, there's nothing here but grass and stuff, Chris added. Murdin looked at them in disgust. Thou knoweth nothing of nature. Hey, we know about the environment, old man said Tamsin. Good, replied Murdin. Then thou can tell me how many species of plant are in this clearing. 
He pointed to a space around four metres square. It really just looked like your average forest floor. Part grassy, part muddy. I don't know. Three, voted Chris. Ten, suggested Chikia. Twenty, said Rose, sure that it was bound to be higher than expected. One hundred and thirty-seven, said Murdin smugly. And that is just giving it a cursory eye-sweep. Thou sayest thou care for nature, but thou know not what it is, what it does, how magical it is. Thou art not connected to it. He continued scrabbling around on the forest floor. Look, foxglove, the flower of the heart, he said. Hawthorn, ha, each one has a story to tell. Wood anemones for digestion. Primrose, red campion, sweet woodruff, wood sage, fern. Oh, my goodness, the kids screamed in unison. I know, tis wonderful, cried Murdin. But the children weren't ecstatic about the abundance of flora and fauna. They were crowded around Shakir's phone. We've gone viral. They were looking at a very fuzzy video of the moment the old well had erupted, filmed by someone crouching behind the glass on the upper level of the mall. Now I knoweth why they call them start foams, said Murdin. A sorcerer has cursed them. As soon as thou looks at them, thou starteth foaming at the mouth. He was quite pleased with this piece of observational humour. The kids ignored him. Now the police are saying the disturbance was caused by a giant sinkhole. I'm going to ask you two quick questions to, to round up, if that's OK. Um, the, the first is just which is your favourite part of Britain? Well, I have to say Yorkshire, because that's where I'm from. The Dales, Yorkshire Dales are incredible. If you manage to get the weather, you get so many, there's so many different sort of aspects to it. There's the Dales, and then you get up to, there's a pub called Tan Hill, which is the highest inn in, in Britain, and the landscape up there is like, it's like the moon, you know. So that, that I'd have to say Yorkshire, yeah. Good answer. And if, finally, if you were a British wild animal, what would you be? Can I have a bird? Because I was going to say a fox, because fox, foxes live in the countryside and in, the, in, and in urban areas, so I think they've got the best of all worlds. But I've changed my mind. It's got to be a bird, because why would I be a fox when, if, when I could fly? Yeah. I mean, so, who wouldn't want to do that? So probably a kestrel or or a hawk or a kite or something. Excellent. It will, uh, yeah, I was wondering whether it would be a bird of prey or a garden bird, but you've gone for the bird of prey. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, may, may as well be the hunter, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's lovely stuff. And thank you to Simon and Maria for that entertaining chat. Simon's book, The Wizard in My Shed, The Misadventures of Murder in the Wild, is published by Hodder Children's Books, and we thank them for allowing us that clip from his audiobook. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do leave some feedback and reviews on whatever podcast provider you use. And you can email me, Collins at this address, editor at countryfile.com. I love getting your emails and I try to respond to as many as I possibly can. We'll be back next week with a special podcast escape to a secret stretch of coast in North Wales to meet curlews, herons, seals and other seashore life. Find out more in episode seven of the podcast. As you've been listening to the BBC Country Farm magazine podcast produced by Jack Bateman. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.